so I was flying fucking saucers at Rome. But look, mate, if there were aliens about, we'd know by now. Then think about it, how the fuck are you going to keep that a secret? Mate, they don't want you to know about it. It's all fucking top secret, right? <laughs> really? Mate, how many planets have you got in the universe? I don't fucking know how many. Trillions. trillions. Okay, you got trillions of planets. You're going to tell me out of all those planets, the universe goes on forever, this is the only planet that's got any life on it. Come on, mate. Jesus. Would you root an alien? Why would I root an alien? No, no, look, there's no human women about. You're on one of those planets surrounded by fucking alien women. They're all, you know, you know, you haven't had a root in 10 years. You haven't one? Depends. One more. She looked like E.T., mate. I can tell you it's not gonna happen. <laughs> okay. What about, what about you seen that Star Wars film, right, where that Jabba the Hutt's like the big fat fucking thing, he's got this, uh, he's got this alien woman on a chain, she's dancing around, she's got the lycra on, she's got the, you know, she's got the good, good rig, got the horns. Give her one. Might have to be pretty fucking telly, mate, I'll tell you. Mate, I give her one in a fucking heartbeat. And you know why? If for no other reason to say, Raymond, that I fucked an alien. Now think about it, right? Now think, think. You go down the pub, mate says to you, what'd you do yesterday? Fucked an alien. Like, properly. Welcome to Killer Casting, everybody. This is Lisa Zambetti, casting director in Los Angeles. And you know why we're here. We are going to finish up our recap of the finale of Mr. In Between. If you listened to our previous pod, you heard in real time the Brian and I sitting next to each other, which we haven't done in years, watching it. And it was so enjoyable. I really loved doing that, Brie Bro. How did you like it? I wish there wasn't the delay. I know. person is is a different thing. And like I said, if you hadn't been there, I probably would have left in the middle of the episode and like watched it later on. I had reactions in the moment, like, oh, oh my God, that we were not able to capture because we're kind of catching it up on the computer. Well, we had to mute each other because yeah. the delay was getting to be, I mean, I could hear your audio, you could hear my audio and it was just. Yep. Anyway, but we didn't have Dean with us. Although, you yeah. know, and I'm sure that you had just as many gasps and mullings as you. So we really want, you know, Brian and I kind of said a lot of our piece and since it's been a couple of days now and I've been able to ruminate, I've got some other things to say, but Dean, I really want to get your reaction to each section of it. How did it impact you in the beginning? I started to watch this with the recording and everything and I was trying to commentate, you know, I was wanted to do a live, an actual live listen. Mm -hmm. And then I found, I became aware that I was getting cranky because mm -hmm. all I wanted to do was sit and watch it. Yeah. And, and and so I didn't want to be my own tour guide for the final episode of Mr. In Between. Yeah. So I stopped, I'd stopped the camera and, you know, had I been with you guys and we were pausing and playing, that would have been fine. It seemed to be artificial me sitting by myself in the lounge room, even though my 
my reactions were genuine. I was still conscious of the camera behind me because I set it up so that you could see the TV in the background and I had a a little headset on. I had live audio going into the recording, but it was just too much of a production and I went, no, I just want to enjoy this for what it is. We're only going to get one chance to watch the last episode for the first time. So I just jumped it and away I went. And uh, yeah, that opening scene, as Brian, you said, it went for like two and a bit minutes, just music and not a word of dialogue and just all about him just outside smoking and so on. And you can just see the gears grinding in his head. He opens up the bag and he contemptuously throws whatever money Raph gave him. I'm sure it was a big amount of money in the white envelope and he just throws it against the wall. And I think he's thinking of what the the old boxing guy had said. You know, Bob. Bob. Thank you. What are you doing? You know, like, what are you doing and what are you doing it for? And I think at that point, that was the first real connection he'd made with a woman in 12 months since Ellie. And I think what he was thinking was, and I got her killed. Not she died, but I got her killed. And it's no coincidence that after those two minutes of pensive scenes, him, I think there was a look on his face. I just loved the way that, that, well, if you speak Ray, right, if you speak Ray face, as we all do by the end of the season, then you know what's going on. And he sort of gives a sigh and and he sort of, he seems to have come to a decision. So it's absolutely no coincidence that the cut, the hard cut is to the salt scene on the house. And I think he's thinking, anyone close to me gets killed. I can't risk that with Brit. So I have to leave. I'm out of here. And then there's the scenes with Brit where she's saying, but why are you leaving? And then of course he drops the eponymous title line. I'm not leaving, uh, but of course he is. And I think he just does it for her protection. He can't explain why he's doing it. And uh, he doesn't want her near him because people die around him. That's why she says, get the internet connected. And then in that scene with Gaz, he's like, well, you know, what's, where's the internet? And he goes, no, I haven't got it. And I won't be getting it sort of thing because then she can't visit him because there's no way she's going to spend a week without internet, right? So he's got to visit her in the safety of town, which is 90 minutes or an hour and a half away. So I thought the opening was good and it set us up. Well, what's really interesting is that that he actually says to her, now we, we talked about this, you know, you know mm-hmm. why I'm leaving. So, but that we don't, we aren't privy to it. That's something <clears throat> private that is held back from us on why he really is, or at least what he's telling her. And uh, he's only going in, like he says, he's only going an hour out of town. So it's not like he's disappearing. It's just a very, and I want to ask this to Nash. It's like, he's not magicianing himself, right? He's not just vanishing off the grid, never to be found. He's sort sort of, I don't know. It's just really interesting. He's selling his house, which is a very public thing to do. Like we said, night up. I mean, it's like the thing about this show is that it always manages to defy expectation. Like you think a scene is going a certain way and then they do a, a switch, a switcheroo on you in a really awesome way, not in a contrived way. And for me, I, you know, I rewatched it today. I really felt like the whole thing at the top was him setting up. This is his long goodbye. I'm a danger to all these people. And he was really going to be the magician. He was going to go away and or he was going to go out in a blaze of glory like he recognized that he was in danger because of Raphael and and the whole slight or whatever. Just as a bit of timing thing, like, and you know, they play with the timing, right? But you don't sell a house in Australia like in a week. That is usually a three-month process. So the fact that the house was sold, that suggests to Australian audiences that he's made a decision there in the motel, but this is playing out a couple of months later. He's not, a, he's not in a motel in, at the top. He's, he's at his oh. house. 
Oh, that's his house. That's his house. Oh, yeah. I, I didn't even pick it up. I thought, uh, okay, I didn't even notice it in the Yeah, bar. yeah, yeah. It does seem like time is going by. I mean, he's put it on the market. He hasn't just vanished. He hasn't just left it. Right, right, right. He's packing, saying goodbye to his dad in a way. I mean, he's definitely, he's leaving the business. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's apparently going to go straight. Um, and, and, and the look that he gives Brit when she gets out of the car and in her usual teenage fashion, she was like, yeah, love you, dad, bye. And she walks off, but he just sits there for a minute looking at her and staring at her. And, yeah. you know, he's thinking, okay, this marks a chapter. It's not like he's never going to see her again, but he has to do this. It's a price it he like has it. to pay. I- but see, that's what I mean. Like it's like Brian. You always talk about his code, right? It's like a samurai code, the warrior code, right? Yeah. He wants to stay with Brit, and he would love to cuddle her and cook her pasta and have those things. But he feels he has to do this for her protection. And if his isolation in some shitty little caravan out in the middle of the country is the price he has to pay, then that's the price he's going to pay. Yeah. But it's not like he's faking his own death. It's not, you know what no. I mean? He's not really, he's kind of half in, half out a little bit. It's just, in, I mean, I just Oh, he's Mr. In Between, Lisa. Ooh, see what I did there? Uh, so, yeah. um, so anything you want to say about the the dad scene in the elder care or the Freddy scene at your at your uh, Chinese restaurant? Uh, look, <laughs> well, well, let's take it in steps. So one, I did notice that, when the dad, Ray picks up the cover of the jigsaw and he said, oh, it looks pretty good. And his dad said, oh, I'd rather be there. Ray says, so was I. When Ray later on, when he sits down and he's got his cup of tea and he looks out at all the bush. And by the way, I thought a sniper shot was coming any second. But I think that's the scene on the jigsaw lid. Or if it's not, it's nah, very close. I'm looking it's at it. It's very close. I don't think it is. To I mean, me, it was more evoc- it, it more evoked like the childhood home. That burned yeah, to the yeah. ground. Yeah, he's you know? going to the yeah, going back to his roots. Yeah, so he's uh, th- there. He is. There's a, that really quite a tender little scene. It was. It just sits. That scene sits so apart from everything else with him and Gaz. Gaz is sitting on the roof of the caravan, dangling his legs. Uh, Ray's rigging up his solar panel, and they just have this lovely little conversation. Mm-hmm. And Gaz is all excited, like a little puppy, about his porn business. If <laughs> you can be like a puppy about a porn business, <laughs> his like, voice. His I, voice is so different oh, in that scene. So I noticed cool. it today. It's so. It's so much higher. It's comical. Yes. I mean, like it's, it is the ultimate in his kind of like comic presence. I think yeah. he should. I, I really wanted more from Gaz in this last episode. I wish he had had a fingerprint in this episode. I mean, we'd spoken earlier about the way that he transformed from that episode. Socks are important where he ended up tracking down the lost kid. And it looked like he was going to become Ray's badass companion and grow up into his role. And instead that became Dave. And, you know, the fact that we'd sort of bemoaned a little bit that Gaz had become a comical character, but where Ray ended up putting him, slotting him in there, it was like he's found his perfect uh, Mr. PP guy, yeah, Mr. Vajankle. He's shooting and- porn and he's and he's getting paid to swing. He's proud it's of like it. he, he's, yes. he's an artist. Like, Life doesn't get better than this for gas. Yeah, like, he's no, great. So, so he's yeah. going straight too, in a way. Yeah, they're getting yeah. out of the yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. He can he can just you know get there and prep and do his thing and yeah, it was good. <laughs> uh, so we don't have we have Freddie in the the is yeah. it someplace cut. whatever it's a Chinese yeah place. it is it's Chinese so they yeah mm-hmm. cut to another Chinese the last Chinese restaurant and as per my question to Scott Ryan about dim sims at the end he was sort of a little bit oh uh oh yeah well sort of kind of whatever tells you the story because what they were eating was not fucking dim sim that was not a dim sim that he gave to freddie 
It was a, I mean, a that, dumpling, right? It was a dumpling. It was a Japanese like gyoza, right? It's oh, a little, gotcha. little yeah. moon-shaped thing, crescent-shaped thing, crisped on the bottom and steamed on the top. I cook them at home. Yeah. I, I do the best ones ever, by the way. <laughs> I challenge anyone to beat my gyoza. But that was a gyoza. Mm. Not a dim sim, totally different things, okay. totally different. But anyway. But it, um, I mean, I'm watching this scene right now, and it seems it's a rather relaxed scene. Like Ray is not like looking over his shoulder. He doesn't seem too intense until Freddie brings up, yeah. you know, motorcycle guy. Alex, I just assumed uh, it was so well. That's such a, a great little scene because, I don't know, did you guys suspect at that point anything? Yeah. What? Bullshit. You suspected Freddie. Did you say yeah, yeah or not? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Once, really? I mean, I took that scene with Freddie at face value until we got out into the country. Of and course. there was nothing there. Yeah. And that's when it was like, oh, okay. No, I totally knew something was something was up. I wasn't sure what, but it was just, I don't know, just the placement of the scene and that motorcycle guy. And I was like, what motorcycle guy? And I just was trying to piece it together. I don't really understand what they're going out there to do. What are he and Dave going out there to do? Okay, there was some confusion about this. So Freddie comes and tells Ray mm -hmm. that, oh, you remember that guy, Alex, the motorcycle guy? So this, of course, is the vice president who escaped in the bush in the dark. After right, he Ray hired had Ray to right. yeah. off the yeah. lead guy. The, the press, yeah, right? So he's escaped and he never came back into the picture. So right. now Freddie's saying to Ray, he's looking for you, right? So looking for you, pseudonym mm -hmm. for he's trying to kill you because it's a loose end or whatever. Mm -hmm. So Ray knows he's got to get in first. Mm -hmm. So what does he do? He calls his mate Dave. And he says, Dave, get up here. I've got a line on that fucking biker, Alex, that got away on us. We're going to go and fix him up. So cut to Ray and Dave in the car and, you know, mm -hmm. screwing aliens and whatever and all that sort of stuff. But that's why Dave is there. Mm -hmm. They're going. That address that Freddie dropped in his lap on the paper mm -hmm. uh, that they went to, that was supposedly where Alex was and they were there to take him by surprise. To take him Hence first. That, yeah, yeah, to get yeah. him first, take him out, yeah, for self-protection. I didn't really need to know the details. It was like, okay, they're going, whatever they're doing, they're doing. I mean, I could feel it coming, really. I mean, you, you know, there's nobody there. Dave's taking a piss, which is a very vulnerable. Oh, yeah, no, no, no. Yeah, you know? e even. So hang on, let me be clear. You saw it coming at the restaurant with Freddie? Yeah. Right. Okay. Well, you're you're a woman. You're smarter than me. So yeah, No, I mean, I've, just uh... seen, I've just seen a million. I mean, <laughs> I, I've just seen a million setups and that okay. just smell, smelled of it. And especially I mean, and then later when he tries to call Freddie on the phone, I mean, of course. Oh, yeah, that's no, at that point. Yeah. Right. So, so here's my understanding of that scene, right? They're driving down the road and they do the, you know, the thing about screwing the aliens and Star Wars, Jabba the Hutt and blah, blah, blah. And then they're driving down the road and then Dave says, oh, it must be here somewhere. And mm -hmm. they're driving slowly and they're looking and 9622 or whatever. And Ray goes, oh, it's behind us. And he says, oh, I'll pull a Yui here. Does a U-turn, comes back and they're looking. And then straight away, I'm going, if Ray is confused, this is not good. And then when they pulled up and the car actually stops and the camera's outside of the car, I've got to check it. I don't know, but there's... Dead silence, there's birds tweeting, mm -hmm. and the flash straight away in my head was Bonnie and Clyde. It just mm -hmm. had that exact same vibe, and I'm going, get the fuck out of there. Then, of course, they get out of the car, and they're all puzzled and what's going on, and Dave picks up the sign with the number on it, and I'm going, oh, Freddie, you little fucking piece of shit. And then, of course, Dave takes his dick out, and then the drone arrives, and it's like, oh, what's that? Really? Come on, dude. Time to go. 
Yeah. So the drone was not armed. I'm trying to figure out what the drone. No, 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 no. The drone was the drone was there because they wanted because Raf wanted to make sure that that was uh, that they were the guys. I mean, in fact, it's like he had a scope, right? Because he, he shot Dave, so they mm-hmm. knew it was him. Mm-hmm. So it was a little bit of an injection by by Scott or by Nash, but to some extent. But it's just scoping them out. It's going, yep, this is definitely them. Right, fire. And it's this great car chase. Woof. It's just fantastic. And then the roller. Yeah, I don't know why Dave, like Dave was, he was out of bullets on the on the semi-automatic. And so he goes into the boot and the guy shoots the boot. But like, okay, he shot the boot. Now reach back and grab that toy. <laughs> yeah. But anyway, that would have been a very short episodes. Yeah, but once again, it's like Ray deserves a letter from Vic Rhodes saying that he needs to reset his license because that's two rollovers in two episodes. It's like, sorry, dude, you need to come back and do some training. Brian and I had a little, uh, you know, we didn't see this the same way. I thought it was extremely weird that fat, sweaty, heaving, out of shape Rafi is on the ground (laughs) trying to do this uh, tactical assault. I understand the young kid. I understand whoever the, this other guy is, his, yep. his muscle. Yeah, he's a henchman. That was the guy that was in the um, inside oh, of the garage when the garage. When, okay. when Ray finds out that Zoe didn't make so it. So what do you think about this? And why now? Why are they going after him now? There's, you know, there's a few theories, but I mean, it's really just to move the plot along. As with so much of the show, there's so much that we don't know and we have to assume and fill in the gaps. And I don't think Ray minds too much what we plug in there. It's just the fact that, Rafa's here and, and he, he's either wants to tidy up loose ends or he's spooked by the fact that Ray's disappeared because he would have been obviously in close contact with Freddie, as we know, because Freddie double-crossed him. So he's like, well, where's this guy Ray? And he's like, oh, I don't know. Uh, well, where's he gone or what's he doing? Blah, blah, blah. So maybe that spooked Raf. I don't know. But for whatever reason, he's decided that Ray's going to go and Ray has different ideas. All of the scenes and everything that happens inside of the farmhouse I thought were great. And another open-eye death scene. Oh, yeah, I know. I know. I'm clocking yeah, 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 yeah. Best. Um, I had a little chuckle that considering how they met, right, under such fraught circumstances that Dave kidnaps Ray and he's going to deliver him to his death for a fairly small amount of money. In fact, small enough that $162,000 or whatever it was in that strong box uh, was enough for him to detour. Now he's asking Ray to look after who I can only assume is little Quentin. So now Ray has inherited a stepson or a godson uh, called Quentin, and he's got to say his name. I'm uh, I'm assuming that uh, Dave didn't change that. So I thought that was a little bit humorous. And then, of course, we get down to Tin Tacks with the boys attacking the house. And this was a terrific and shocking scene. And it's a double-edged sword, isn't it? In the season three promo, there was flashes of this scene. There was enough of it that you could see that the guy comes out of the door on fire. Oh, okay. And and you could see as he falls, you could see it was Raph behind him. And and I went, "Ah." when they were in that location, I'm like, oh, this is here. So that was a bit unfortunate. But prior to that, of course, we have the first, I think in this episode, the first Pulp Fiction reference. Yeah? No? I don't know. Oh, really? I'm not the I'm not the encyclopedic guy that you Yeah, uh, yeah. don't, uh, don't try to shame us. I <laughs> say, oh, wait, oh, you didn't recognize let me, let me take my points where I can score them, Please. you know, every, every couple of months. Okay, so Dave dies. Ray mm-hmm. goes into the kitchen. He's furiously rifling through the cabinets and he's looking mm-hmm. for something, anything for a weapon, right? Mm-hmm. And so he finds a hammer. And he picks up the hammer and he's like, okay, yeah, yeah. And then he spots, he looks and he goes, oh, and he picks up the big, the big chopper, right? And it's like, and then he just looks up Mm -hmm. and the camera cuts. Yeah. Okay. That is Bruce Willis inside of, in Pulp Fiction, when he's Butch and he's inside of Zed's place, 
and he escapes and he's up the top and he's looking and he grabs a thing and he's like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then he grabs a chainsaw and he's like, right, right. And then he looks up and then cut. And, of course, he's found the samurai sword. Oh, okay. Gotcha, gotcha. From the fact that the guy comes out of the room on fire, we assume that when Ray's got the chopper, that that's what he's going. Uh, he looks up and he sees, I don't know, a can of lighter some fluid kind or of some, some, some kind of accelerant, kind of gas line, yeah. or I don't know what. But yeah, and he's yeah, like, yeah, okay, thought, right. Yeah. So when he's then sneaking up behind the guy, and you imagine you just yeah, you can see the we back think of the he's guy's got, head. We think he's got the yep. cleaver. Yeah, of course. You know, you we're sure he's going to get his skull split, and then no, cut external, and you see the guy come through the door on fire. Yeah. But before that, Lisa Zambetti, yeah. very good, very good ears on you, young lady. Because what happened right before that, as the camera's closing in on this dude, whose name I can't remember, sorry, uh-huh. man, we get a Jaws theme. Yeah, that's what I thought it's, it was. Yeah. It was. I went back and listened to it. It totally oh, wow. is. And I've got a couple of questions for Nash in this last episode. I think he's homaging left, right, and center. And I think yeah. definitely Pulp Fiction because he did the Mia thing about, you know, like yeah. one of those for me, Cowboy. Yeah. And I think that was a little Jaws reference. And I'm going to go on record now and say I think he put two separate Sicario <gasps> Uh, references in there, the, the mm-hmm. stunning film by Denis Villeneuve. I think he's put a visual reference in, and I think he's dropped in an audio reference as well, but we shall see. Okay. So anyway, action stations are plenty. Uh, what's his name? The shithead kid, um, whatever his name is, and Raph Gaze in horror, the perfect distraction that Ray wanted. And how good was it to see the you know the left half of that kid's head Yeah, that's off? squib. That's squib. Uh, that really was realistic. super cool. Yeah, right? Yeah. So, okay. uh yeah, that was great. And then Raph sort of tries to get away but doesn't. And as you said, there he is, Lisa, you know. And every time you mention Raph, you say that sleazy, sweaty, fat piece of shit, I'm right? Sorry. I'm it's, sorry. And, and, no, no, no. Well, that, and that since, shot, the shotgun, I mean, the one with the kid was great, but that yeah. shotgun squib was amazing. Yeah. You never yes. see, like, what shotgun pellets do. They yeah. really captured that in a really yeah. realistic way. It actually reminded me straight away one of my favorite movies of all time is a from the 80s. It's called To Live and Die in L.A. Mm-hmm. It was uh, actually, Lisa, the movie that really, uh, it was pretty much the break. Oh, no, it was for after Manhunter. Yeah, yeah, yeah for Billy yeah. Peterson. And at the end of it, he gets shot in the face with a shotgun. And spoiler sorry, alert! Spoiler alert! Yes. Oh, forty-year-old movie. Jeez. Okay, you haven't seen okay. it now. All right, okay, yeah. Well, I also haven't all. seen the end of No Country for Old Men, so please don't spoil that for uh, me, guys. Okay. okay, but yeah, that was the that was the only other time I could remember it. And to add a little bit of color to your criticizer, and you sort of go, "Oh, sorry to that actor, Jeremy Sims." became well-known in Australia in a soap, a notorious soap opera here called Chances. Mm-hmm. And because it was one of the first Aussie free-to-airs that had male nudity and full Ooh. frontal and all that sort of stuff. And so he was famous for the young, handsome, very handsome young man with the tight butt. Wow. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. He was he was a sex symbol. So don't worry about it. He had his day. So real quick, I want to, in this whole section here, the whole, this whole um, shootout section, I want to ask you about something that is going to sound so strange. Here we go. Did you notice anything about the way the men ran? You did. So Brian's nodding. What, what, could you comment upon that? I mean, they seem to really run awkwardly. Yes. You know what I mean? It was like they were running through like mud. They run like people who don't run. And I love that. 
Right. Because on, you know, I've spent years and years on shows where there's a takedown scene, you know, every episode and you have these finely chiseled people running they're like all, yeah. they're, yeah, running with like their gazelles. arms, just perfect form and the perfect speed and all this stuff. And so it was so, it was so jarring to me to watch people who actually trying to run when they, they don't normally do that and it was great it's realistic in awkward shoes in awkward shoes yeah they're exactly and scott ryan is slightly bow-legged so when he runs it's kind of like this sort of crabby kind of absolutely i absolutely noticed that i assumed it was part of the thing because he's just been in a rollover he's been in a shoot up and the block is slightly sloping and i don't know it just it didn't leap out at me because oh, okay. you're out in the country and yeah, you're trying to run. Well, I mean, as a, I mean, as a function of being bombarded by these ultra slick kind of chase scenes, running scenes, blah, blah, insert, whatever yeah. crime mm-hmm. scene that we've been inundated with, like since the time we we're kids to see something kind of this authentic, right. Is jarring. It's like, what, what? They couldn't, they couldn't jazz it up a little bit, you know? I mean, which I, I'm glad they did. I'm no, I, they I did. am too. I am too. They're running in tall grass. That's also awkward to be running through. One of the things that I did clock that I thought was quite odd, the guy that he ends up setting on fire, his name's Cullen, is the way that Cullen was dressed compared to the rest of them. He looked like he just, he had the shotgun. He almost was something out of Jurassic town and Park. country. He no, looked town, like, and, oh, okay. town and country. He had a scarf or something and he had a bit of houndstooth and he's got the shotgun <laughs> it was like he was it reminded me of when james bond gets attacked in the castle you know at the end of whichever bond that was and he's in the castle <laughs> with them what the hell is this guy wearing <laughs> no, he just he reminded me of clever girl from uh jurassic park uh, oh guy okay uh, Hey, folks, if you're enjoying this podcast, feel free to give us a review. Big thumbs up in your listening app of choice. Plus, if you know someone else who'd like the show, send them a link because sharing is caring, right? Now, back to the show. Okay, so what do you think of this Freddy scene here? What what was your, I mean, it's so full of tension. You know that there's going to be, you know, a face-off on yeah. this. And I'm just yeah. wondering how as, it's all going to go down. As soon as it cut to the two of them on the bed, you know what's coming, right? It's like, okay. Well, you think you know what's coming. I mean, oh, you think. Oh, no, I, I knew there'd be a confrontation. I didn't expect him necessarily to off Freddy. So, really? Yeah. I knew that he wanted to confront him and depending on how it went. Anyway, what was funny that non-Australians mightn't pick up is the scene opens on the bed. They're watching the rugby game and they're singing the national anthem and Michelle starts pissing and moaning about how crap our national anthem is. You know, we have 26 million Australians. You know how many think our anthem sucks? About 27 million. <laughs> we, everybody. Why? What's so bad about it? I've it's never heard fucking it. terrible. It's lame ass. The lyrics are terrible. The music's dirge like. It's just, it was written by committee. It's everyone, every Australian is, is embarrassed about our national anthem and they want to have Waltzing Matilda. Uh-huh. Anyway, and then I loved it just to show how dumb both Michelle and Freddie are. And Freddie's like, oh, well, you know, what's so bad? Well, which one would you like? They're all shit. And she says, oh, not America's. So America, not the United States. And, and he says, oh, how does that go? She goes, oh, I can't remember right now, but, you know, whatever. <laughs> I just, I lost it at that. Anyway, so Freddie goes downstairs. And speaking of Billy Peterson, that scene downstairs with the lighting and everything, it looked very manhuntery. It looked very. Oh, um, interesting. 
Yeah, yeah. I, I don't think it was a reference. It was just the way it was. But anyway, you just knew as soon as Freddie walks out on the balcony that when he walks back, he's going to find Ray sitting there as indeed he does. And I just thought the recognition when Freddie first sees him and goes, oh, Jesus, you scared the shit out of me. And then there's a moment where they just look at each other and you can see Freddie's brain turning, that look on Ray's face and Freddie knows he just opens with, sorry, I'm so sorry, mate. Because there's no way to talk your way out of that with Ray's. 10 steps ahead. That's such a melancholy scene in a way. Mm. There's such a sadness to Ray. Like, I can't fucking believe. I don't know. I meant to observe that one of the reasons I think that Ray, because it struck me that it was when he and Dave were at the farm and, and they got taken by surprise. He's super smart. He's 10 steps ahead. But this information came from Freddie. There was no nothing on his radar that Freddie was going to set him up at all. And so that's why I think he was like, oh, okay, you know, well, this is a bit odd. But his body senses weren't tingling because this was information from Freddie. There's no way he thought he was getting set up, I think. That's why he says what he says in this scene. Go yeah, to me, like, because I watched that scene again, and it's really interesting, the sustained look that he gives him when he's not looking down at his drink mm-hmm. is not that typical... Ray, look, mm-hmm. it is one, it is one of deep sadness, which and, it, yeah. and the blue, the blue yeah. of the mm-hmm. lighting, like really accentuates that. And again, it's left so much to our own imaginations. But when Ray says, "But it wasn't a mistake," yeah, right, mm-hmm. it wasn't a mistake. Then you have to ask yourself, okay, like what is Freddie doing it for? Is it you would say, well, it's the gambling, like he owes money to Raphael and other people. And so, but there's also like what happened in socks are important. Mm. Again, I talked to Lisa about this with Rafi being on the ground. Like it's like the slight that Raphael absorbed of being called a fuckwit. He what his ego wasn't going to let him get away with it. And maybe Freddie on some level, the mm. wounding of the family. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know what I mean? Like Ray taking matters into his own hands and endangering his family, like that was part of it as well. I guess. Mm. Somehow it just didn't track for me because, you know, Ray has now gone to bat for him and made the Remy back off from the gambling debt. And yet Freddie still sets him up. Yeah, I know, but for me, there's like a missing piece somehow. Okay, what about this? I I assumed that Freddie set Ray up because Raph offered to square the debt with Remy. Raph's got money, multi-million drug dealer, look at the yacht. So if he says to Freddie, I'll wipe your debt with Remy, but I need you to tell me where Ray is. Or send him to this spot. That's what I mean. Give him up, right? In some way, shape or form. Although Freddie doesn't say it, I'm assuming that that was the case. But let me ask you this too. This is something I thought about as well. I mean, are we talking about a long game too? With Freddie and Raphael? Oh, sorry. No, I was thinking right. Like even earlier. That's what made me think about like... Mm. Yeah, because where did he come from? The introduction of Raphael into Ray's orbit. And I guess that would be so diabolical, though. That would be so like. Well, I mean, think about what Ray did with Freddie's family. Put yourself in that situation, like the Mm. threat and understanding the threat that Ray poses, that anger. Yeah, it just seemed like that was like a break. You know, you can't work here anymore. And like that was like the end of that beat. And then, like we said before, it was so great to see Freddie come to the jail and ask for that favor. But that was for Raph. I think Brian could be onto something because, of course, what reconnected Ray and uh, Freddie was Raph. So Raph first sends Freddie to the jail, says, right, go and throw this stuff in Johnny Chan's face and send him a message. Well, he said, send him a message. Ray worked out how. So Freddie is the conduit between Ray and Raph. 
And uh, so, yeah, there could be some history in there, Brian, because, you know, they leave so much. Open, but again, so. it's so much of it is left to the imagination. And I love yeah. I love the fact of like, you know, Ray's parting shot is I'm the one who made the mistake. And it's oh, like, what that it, you know, it's heartbreaking. Like, Heartbreak. You know what I mean? Like that, that is so, to me, could mean so many different things. The fact of, you know, trusting Freddie or letting his guard down. I mean, it's just rife with, you have to just decide, okay, yeah. what does that mean? Yeah. You yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Wounded. Wounded is the way that you would describe the look that Ray gave Freddie when they first got together there in, in Freddie's yeah. kitchen. Yeah. 100%. He was, he just like, Ray's like, there are very few things in this world I can rely on. And I thought as much as he would, that that would be one of them, but it turned out not to be the case. Now, my second Sicario reference, because I was listening with headphones on, exactly when Ray says, maybe I'm the one who made the mistake he puts down his glass and he walks past freddie and he's heading for the outside glass door at that time if you've seen sicario you know that the sound designer johan johansson in that film at sicario has got this distinctive sound i'm going to try and do it into mm-hmm. the microphone where it goes yep yeah, I know exactly. It's, it's a double it. sound, right? Uh-huh. And that's exactly what plays as Ray walks out the door. Wow. It's the signature sound. It's, it's not a knowing nod. It's the sound designer just going, oh, I know what would work well here. I'll do a Johan. So we'll find out from Nash because I'm going to ask him. Yeah. <laughs> like to hook up and obsess with other like-minded folks who enjoy pod-like killer casting, who love to talk about the shows that they're binging, chat about the episodes and all the shows we cover, please go find us at the usual socials of Facebook, Twitter, and Insta, and I will see you there. So now we get into this this section here, I honestly, I was a little confused for one second when we see time has passed and Ray is getting his coffee and he's coming out in his taxi driver uniform and he's got more hair and he's got more beard. Yeah, and, I didn't recognize him for the first two, yeah, three seconds. Yeah, I know. And it's great. And he's looking. And at first I was like, okay, this is this is later. And then I was like, is this a flashback? Like I had a few mm-hmm. moments of like, is this him before he went, but I don't know. There was just an interesting flutter. Um, and then uh, he's in the cab waiting to pick up his his ride. So what do you think? Oh, okay, just before that, he steps out of the door of the caravan and there's a shot, the, the light's falling on him. He's got his crisp blue shirt on mm-hmm. and he's sipping his tea and he's looking out around at the country and I'm just waiting for a squib to fire yeah. off on that beautiful, crisp, clear blue shirt, right? Yeah. I'm going, he's just going to get out of it. And then he walked away and I'm like, okay, no, not there. And then he sat down in the chair and he's looking out and then the camera shows us what he's looking at, which is that big bush landscape. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking, you wouldn't even need a ghillie suit in there, right? You could be in there in neon pink bloody you know, workout wear and you could <laughs> snipe. And I'm waiting for his him just to be drinking the tea and his head just gets blown oh. off and it fades to black or something, something or like something, that, you know, or something. Or something yeah. But nothing happened again. And I went, oh, okay. And then... Of course, we get down to tin tax. What do you call this? It's not a scene because it's a collection of scenes, but when you go from that epilogue. So here we go, that word that I couldn't believe you guys hadn't heard of months ago, pathetic fallacy. 
There's Ray sitting in the cab. The weather's reflecting the mood. It's dark. It's windy. It's raining. There are literal thunder crashes as these two little shitheads get in the car. We're into the end game. I was like, already, ooh, here we go. It was interesting, and I was instantly on alert because he picks them up at a biker bar, right, which turns mm-hmm. out to be a bikey clubhouse, as they say in the car on the way back. So now I have to say I was on the wrong track with this. At that point, I'm like, this is Alex. These are hit guys, and they're from Alex, and they are going to off him. Who's Alex? Alex was the oh, vice, oh, wait, wait, wait. The vice sorry, president. Sorry, sorry, yeah. Yes, yeah. yeah. And then the, the um, Dylan, the one in the back, says, yeah, we were at the clubhouse. We know some guys there, blah, blah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. It bothered me. There was also a part of me went, but but they're not patched. Yeah. They're not big, tough bikies like Dave. They're little shitheads, right? And they're, they're, not, they're not even patched. They look like skater rats. I was confused. And I think that now we, we've already spoken to Scott. Maybe we can ask Nash, but whether Scott wrote that as a, as a red herring. But he picks these two up at a biker bar, but it's got nothing to do with. No, but maybe they're trying to make their teardrop. I mean, maybe this is their initiation their initiation yeah i mean they they clearly i don't know i mean it's we don't know if they deliberately called him or Mm. if he's just the first taxi driver that comes up they're gonna that's their job that they're gonna they're in the middle of nowhere there's no way that ray's parked out front of that place that that's we're talking country that's no i know but they don't know who when they call for a cab you know oh yes they don't know do they know Uh, that it's him coming up or do they it's just whoever is going to pick us up we're going to roll in a small country town, there is the cab driver. Ray is the cab driver for town. Right. This scene goes on for such a long time, which I loved it. There's just so much to think about. At what point do you think he knows what they're going to try to do? What is their plan? They think that they're going to terrorize him. I watched this epilogue two ways. The first time I saw it, when I thought I suspected I was fairly sure that they were hitmen from Alex. And then there's the way that I look at it now. And the way that I look at it now is like, Dean, you total dumbass. Of course, that wasn't the case. What I loved about this, I stopped to try to think or listen what it was and replayed it and I couldn't work it out. Later, I shazammed. So when he's driving the cab and the guy's flicking the radio over to the rap song and Ray punches it back, I had to shazam Mm -hmm. what that track was because it was so mellow. It's called Seven Chakras off an album called Meditation Music. So there's a little <laughs> nod to Adam. Yay, Adam's got Adam. him listening to <laughs> got him listening to Meditation Music, chilling out in the country. It's and funny, uh, I had it on subtitles. When that track was playing, it said shoegaze music. <laughs> which, oh, yeah. which if you like Manchester like it's the not... Manchester sound of the early 90s, oh, yeah. you know, like yeah, no, okay. I love bloody shoegaze. sound all yeah. that. Yeah, 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 yeah. No, I love shoe guys and you guys. Yeah, I can see why it might auto do that, but it's not quite. Anyway, then of course they start running their mouths, and as you said, Lou. So Dylan in the back, uh, he says, "Yeah, we're uh, we're at the clubhouse. Uh, we uh, we know some of the guys there." Kind of talking himself up. And in retrospect, of course, my personal opinion is they're just a couple of little local shitheads trying to make their bones with the badass bikey chapter. I got a Leopold and Lowe kind of vibe off these mm-hmm. two. Like maybe they were going to be, you know, thrill killing. That's what they do. And they just picked the wrong cab driver. Boy, did they. Talking about this, it's like they behave in the exact opposite way of an actual efficient killer. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. Like it's their version of monologuing, right? Yeah. And like kind of <laughs> dancing around the thing and like, menacing and all that i mean in the hands of ray it just like boom it's done i re-watched that scene again just this morning and it cracked me up you've made this point brian over and over 
about just how economical Ray can be with a single word and or a, a gesture or something. Dylan says to Ray, how do you like driving cabs? And Ray says, it's not the worst job I've ever had. Very mm-hmm. deadpan and we all have a chuckle. And Ray says, what do you do? And of course, straight away, I'm like, I know what's coming. <laughs> and the guy says, bit of this, a bit of that. And then you just see Ray just like, oh, yeah. That's and- what made me think like this was a planned hit. Yes, you know, yeah. And this is the point in the show where if I hadn't had Lisa there, I would have turned it off or paused it, <laughs> gone to the computer to look at spoilers, and then come back okay. and watch the end. So here's my second Sicario reference. You guys have both seen it? Mm-hmm. I've seen the second one. but I, and, oh. I've, and I've seen scenes from Sicario, so I'm very... Okay. One of the classic scenes in the first Sicario is this border crossing where the agents get ambushed by the Mexican cartel. And there's a scene, this is not going to mean anything to you, but for people out there listening. So Jason, the shithead in the front seat, he's sitting back in the seat with his head against the backrest. And it just struck me, the only time I've ever seen anyone sit like that in a car was this hired killer in Sicario, who was one of the killers chasing Emily Blunt and and friends in there. So I'm going to ask Nash if that was the case. So here you go. This will drop before the Nash interview. So folks, you'll get to see whether I picked that as another Sicario reference or whether I'm just overthinking things in my usual fashion. I don't know. Yeah, then we get down to Tin Tax. They keep pushing him and pushing him. He could have said no. He could have said get out of the car. He could have, but he's, it's so interesting because he's, I get the feeling that he's going to see how far they're going to go. It's almost Correct. like testing. Yes. Like he's testing. Yeah. Testing. I think he treats them as kids testing their boundaries, right? Like even the road itself is in the middle of nowhere where he turns off the road. No one's going to drive past there for the next 20 minutes. And he says, oh, okay, you know, I'll drop you here. And then, as you say, like they keep pushing him, pushing him. And so they think they're pushing him. But by this stage, he knows exactly what they are and he knows exactly what they're going to do and he knows exactly what he's going to do to them. So they're not pushing him. He's luring them. As you said, Lisa, he's like, oh, let's just see what these guys have got, you know? He's kind of giving them every opportunity. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, boys, here we go. Out you get. So right before the car pulls to a stop, Mm-hmm. Ray's there and he, he's just sort of like nodding yep. and going and he's doing the thing and sniffing and it almost in my mind he's like all right how fucking far do I have to go to get away from this shit I, I live in a caravan you stupid little pricks all I want to do is drive my cab and not be bothered and drink my tea and you're going to make me go back to the old ways all right I gave you two chances three chances all right and it was he was resigned he's like Fuck, I've got to go back to work. I've been ah. watching, as we've been talking, I've been watching this, these like three seconds over and over and over again, where he looks at them, looks at their mouths, and then he starts to smile. And he smiles in a way, I and mean, we've seen him smile before, but this is a smile that is just so demonic. I mean, it is like beyond. And then, of course, he breaks the fourth wall and looks us all straight in the eye. And then run is from the music it's not something somebody's saying and i for a second i wasn't sure like mm. did somebody say run it was amazing i mean it was just yeah. such, a, such a fantastic masterful moment i mean wonderfully written but also beautifully executed as well by nash and the cinematographer and i was curious as you and listeners know me being me i dump a copy of the video and i throw it into my edit suite because i wanted to know how many frames Ray was looking at the camera. (laughs) Uh, All right. When did his pupils move from them to the camera and how long did it hold? Which is 18 frames, right? So three quarters of a second. What was cool about it, and folks, if you go back and if you've got like a frame by frame on your viewing device, Ray is looking at them. He's got that wolfish grin like his shit and 
people on the socials have said, frozen on that moment and gone, the face of death. It's like mm-hmm. this is when death comes for you, right? He's almost feral. It's like almost oh, feral. Yeah. yeah, 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 totally. So he's looking at them and then he, he blinks. Now, it's just a normal blink and you don't notice this until you slow it down. I don't know whether Ray did this on purpose or not, but when when his eyelids come down, his pupils are focused on yeah. Jason. Mm-hmm. And then when his eyelids come up, his pupils are already looking at the camera right? and then right. it holds for 18 frames. So his gaze changed, happened literally in the blink of an eye. Yeah, I was just like, a- how cool yeah. is that shit? Yeah, it wasn't like a rack focus where he then looks, breaks the fourth wall. No. It literally no. closes his eyes. And it's just for us. I mean, yes. it's such an intimate, it's almost like a kiss for us. I yes. can't explain it. It's like such Yes, it is. Bit. Uh, I don't know. I loved it. I loved yeah, yeah, yeah. It. it just sucked us in. It's like, okay, we're in on the joke and these these guys aren't in on the joke and we are. Yeah. We know what's coming for them. They have yeah. no idea. I was just incredible. I was like breathless. Well, okay. Pretty soon, you know, Nash is going to join us. Uh, anything else Great. as we wrap this little baby up? I don't feel like doing like a whole go to woe season one to three kind of thing. I was just interested to see how they landed it. Yeah. And, yeah. and they, for me, and it's been quite polarizing, but for me, they absolutely stuck the landing. And once I understood what was going on, that it wasn't a hit and these weren't hit men. And because I'm thinking, well, that guy's, uh, what's his name? Dylan. He's going to have a gun in the back of the of the seat to into Ray's back. And well, Ray knew that. So he's going to have like quarter steel plate. He would have pulled his chair apart. And I'm like, nah, that's not it at all. So once I understood it, I thought it was great. He gave Brit the protection that, that he knew she needed. He's resigned himself to a kind of a lonely existence. At the end of the day, it's like the story of the scorpion and the frog crossing the river. The scorpion stings him to death and the frog says, now we're both going to drown. And the scorpion says, what do you expect? I got to do what I got to do. And that's Ray. It's like, you push me? Okay. Yeah. You guys yeah. are gone. All right. Well, that was awesome. Great to get your hot takes, Dino. Uh, We're going to end it all here. But when we come back, we're going to be talking to the man, the myth, Nash Edgerton. All right. See you next time on Killer Casting. Killer Casting is a concept created and produced by Lisa Zambetti. Audio engineering by Dean Laffin. Logo art by April Laffin. Website and big fat opinions courtesy of me, Brian Allen Hill.